you will have just observed Charland coming up here and kneeling behind the podium. This was not in obedience to the song, exactly. Uh, she was moving the little stool that we had back here for the slightly shorter versions of the people speaking to you today. However, I must add, Charlene is a dedicated, lovable, and loving servant. Should the occasion call for it, I know that Charlene would kneel. Well, good morning. I'm Tom Hanks, and I'm an English teacher, so when I started my classes by saying, good morning, I'm Tom Hanks, uh, that would cause a lot of quiet laughter from my students. As you may have read in the worship guide, or as you may know, I'm Lake Shores College minister and have been since you ordained me in 2005. My sermon title today, Being a Baptist and Keeping the Commandments, I rather expected to scare away half of the people sitting out front here right now. We don't much talk about keeping the commandments in this church, chiefly because most of us grew up with rather negative responses to the commandments, not because they are not good in themselves, but because of the way we learned them. We learned them, or at least I learned them, as a series of thou shalt nots. And those commandments gained rather a sour flavor in our more youthful days in the church. A lady named Dorothy Sayers, who has written some very interesting things about Christianity and who also wrote the Lord Peter Whimsey books, Dorothy Sayers has written it about this way. She says most people think of it thus, God first created the world, then he imposed on humans conditions impossible of fulfillment, and then he got very angry when they didn't fulfill them. Uh, that's Dorothy Sayers. I was raised that way. Both my grandparents, I confess this to you because you're friends, both my grandparents were Southern Baptist ministers. The bloodline is frightening. <laughs> I add that I very much love my grandparents and they deserved it. My grandfather on my mother's side, however, was a very stern man. He was right up there with the thou shalt nots and I always envisioned God in those early years as my grandfather with a beard. <laughs> the thou shalt not came firmly into force there. But things changed. I met Carol and we married, for which I am regularly grateful. She and I, I'm afraid I had a bad effect, she and I left the churches of our youth for several years, pretty much just paying attention to ourselves, then to our children, and then to our extended family. Carol was a Methodist from a conventionally Methodist family, I was, of course, an hereditary, in fact, prenatal Southern Baptist. Neither of us felt moved to do much in the Christian world. In graduate school, though, things began to change, chiefly owing to Kirsten. We had both grown up in the church and thought vaguely, well, that's a healthy thing. It's kind of like drinking lots of water. You want to do it for your health. 
Then we moved to Waco in 1976. Jim Vardaman, whom several of you recall, Jim Vardaman recommended that we visit Lakeshore Baptist Church, of which he was a casual member. Things changed more. Kay Avant strong-armed me into the choir. Has anyone mentioned we have a choir? <laughs> what you may not realize is that if you should happen to come and sing with the choir, you get to sing with Beth. You have recently heard Beth sing, and you know that singing with Beth is akin to joining the choir of angels. It's an opportunity you can't pass up. Uh, you don't have to be a great singer. I'm in the choir. Um, you can simply be uh, wholehearted. <laughs> well, back to uh, end of non-paid, non-political announcement, back to the sermon. Did I mention that K.A. Vance strong-armed me? She's been strong-arming me ever since. Uh, it's a habit that I've sort of grown accustomed to. Well, enough of, enough of all that. In the choir, which is why I brought it up, we sang about 10 years ago a song by Thomas Tallis, the title of which is, If Ye Love Me, Keep My Commandments. I vaguely thought I had read that somewhere in the Gospels, but it kind of germinated in my mind. And as the years went by, I thought, maybe I should look into this business, even though commandments has a high negative index for me. Uh, I was the college minister all this time, so I brought it up to the college class. As one or two of my colleagues knows, because at least one of them uh, heard a little bit about it this morning in sort of a prequel to the sermon. I looked up what the commandments of Christ were. I didn't really know what I was looking for. I kind of thought that they were likely to be rather severe. I was remembering my grandfather. I was remembering First Baptist Church of Springfield, Missouri, where thou shalt not thundered forth from Dr. Easton's pulpit fairly often. What I found as I looked for the commandments of Christ, with a concordance you can find anything you know, and then there's Google, as I looked for the commandments of Christ, what I found was that every one of them has to do with love. You heard all of them that I could find, and there are four. You heard all four that I could find, read by children of this church about five minutes ago. I couldn't help but think of that verse, a little child shall lead them. That business about love strikes me as about as good a lead as you can get anywhere. I'm very grateful to you for, for the reading this morning. Well, um, let me return to those points that Cademan, Lincoln, Laurel, and Vivian, my granddaughter Vivian, made for us as they read the gospel passages. None of those passages says anything about thou shalt not do anything. Each of them is instead a positive suggestion of what we are to do. Uh, first, we're to love God, Cademan told us. Lincoln said, yeah, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. I'll be returning to that. That we should love our enemies and wish them well Laurel said, and finally, Vivian 
read to us the last commandment of Jesus. You and I, you and I are commanded. This is not a recommendation. This is not a gentle suggestion. This is what my grandfather would call a command. He did that. He usually did it with a Bible in his hand, and I now understand why. That, that's smart. <laughs> well, these are the commandments of Jesus. Um, you may not have thought of them as the commandments. You may not have thought of them as replacing the Big Ten. Always use a sports metaphor when possible. Um, you recall what Jesus himself said about the Ten Commandments and indeed about the entire old law of the elder scriptures. Quote, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, he tells us, Matthew 5, 17. My early church, and maybe more than one Southern Baptist church, had not quite gotten that message. Um, my grandfather's idea of love was very tough love indeed, and the church's was too. But Jesus, long ago, had a much gentler approach. Indeed, he models what you and I have come to see as the greatest possible love that a human can show, or a human who is also God can show for his fellow humans. Um, he uh, says to his disciples at one point, as my father has loved you, that's has loved me, that's how I love you. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that your joy, your joy may be complete. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And he adds, greater love than this hath no one than that he or she lay down his or her life for friends. Three parts in this last passage, love, joy, and an act of will for another human being. First love, then joy, then an act of will directed toward another human being, our neighbor, if you will. We recall 9-11-2001 when we saw this sort of love as male and female first responders rushed into the falling towers and laid down their lives for friends they didn't know, neighbors they had never met. Let me stop right here, by the way, to say the names of the three women first responders who died there. You have never heard these names. You should have heard these names. Here they are. Police Captain Kathy Matza, Emergency Med Tech Yamel Marino, Policewoman Moira Smith. You and I will probably not be called upon to show Christ's love by rushing into a falling business, falling building, sorry. God has commanded us through Christ
to love one another. And his own actions made it clear that his group of one another was about as big a group as you could find in ancient Palestine. It included a very clever Syrophoenician woman, a group of lepers whom he had never met before, a sick man at the pool of Siloam, a little girl to, to whom he said, Talitha kum, little girl, rise up. It included a lawyer who asked, I'm gonna pass on the lawyer joke here. It included a lawyer who asked him what was the greatest commandment and seemed actually to want an answer. It included a woman taken in adultery, one whom he refused to judge. In fact, he just said, I don't judge you. Go your way, don't sin. Hard to imagine a gentler suggestion. The group that he loved also included 12 men, one of whom betrayed him, whom he commanded to love others as he loved them. And it seems that that first group of 12 still expands. It has, in the last 60 years, expanded to a small group of people in Waco, Texas, who called themselves the church at Lakeshore Baptist Church. And, of course, beyond that group. It includes you and me. It includes the outcasts of our culture. Christ's love includes not only those who are struggling to pass through our borders, it includes those who are struggling to keep them from passing through our borders. I find that very hard to remember, but I know that God does not. Okay, time to get practical. Every, every sermon ought to get practical at some point. What precisely might it mean for you and me to love our fellow humans? What are we to do? Most of us are not first responders, responders, most of us will not be asked to love others by dying for them. What does Jesus ask us to do when he asks us, love one another as I have loved you? I didn't have an answer when I first posed this question to the college class. Fortunately, I had resources who did have answers. First, the college class itself, which was filled with people who are simply smarter than I am. Second, uh, there came C.S. Lewis. Third, there came Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa probably still lives in your memory, though she died 22 years ago, which is hard to believe. She lived her advice to us. She didn't necessarily state it. I don't know that she wrote it, but she lived it. In crowded, poverty-stricken Calcutta, she fed the hungry. She cared for the sick. She clothed the naked for nearly 50 years, 47 years it was. C.S. Lewis lived at the other end of whatever spectrum you might think this of being. He was a professor at Oxford, as you know, an English professor, which automatically makes him a fairly uh, exalted human being. He, he also wrote the Chronicles of Narnia and many other works for which he was paid a potful of money well over the third million by now. Every cent of his returns on religious writing went to various designated charities. He chose them carefully. He never used a penny or tuppence 
of that money. Uh, it went straight to the charities. You may not have known that. I didn't know it until recently. My goodness. Well, um, you have read a little bit about what he said about love, and I'm going to repeat some of it as I begin to make my way to a close. This is what he said about love. It's in Mere Christianity, chapter 9, in the HarperCollins 1950 edition. Love, in the Christian sense, does not mean an emotion. Does not mean an emotion. It is a state not of the feelings, but of the will. The state of the will which we have naturally about ourselves and must learn to have about other people. Remember that business about love others as you love yourself? Lewis picks up on that. Our love for ourselves does not necessarily mean that we like ourselves. When I got almost to church today and realized that I had forgotten the orange juice and the donuts for the college class, I didn't especially like myself. I still have a healthy regard for myself, though. Lewis says, this means that we wish our own good. In the same way, Christian love, what we sometimes call charity, for our neighbors is quite a different thing from liking our affection. We like or are fond of some people, not others, says Lewis. It's important to understand that this natural liking is neither a sin nor a virtue, any more than your likes and dislikes in food are sins or virtues. They are just facts. But what we do about our feelings for others, that, says Lewis, can be either sinful or virtuous, especially if you dislike someone. He goes on to say, the rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor or not. Act as if you did. As soon as we do this, says Lewis, we find one of the great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will find yourself feeling loving toward that individual. Or at least, he goes on, you will find yourself disliking him or her less. Uh, that in itself is valuable, he suggests. We exercise loving acts toward others because that individual is a self made like us by God in God's image and desiring that self's own happiness as you and I desire our own happiness. When we do this, says he, we will have learned to love as a Christian loves. Okay, practical day-to-day -day terms, back to the practical, on the level of the charitable donations, maybe not quite on the level of Mother Teresa's actions, but aspiring that way, what is it that Jesus has asked me, standing here, you, sitting there, to do? If we believe Lewis, Jesus has not asked us to suddenly develop warm, fuzzy feelings for the person sitting next to us. Uh, nor has he asked us to develop those same feelings for the people sitting around us. We can even, this is hard to conceive of, I know, you can even dislike some of the people sitting around you. Don't admit it, but you can do that. <laughs> but what Jesus commands us to do is actively to do things 
for the people sitting around us and for the people we meet who need probably more than the people sitting around us who need to have things done for them. We may decide to carry water in our cars and when we pass a homeless person to pass him or her a bottle of water. We may decide to go to McDonald's and buy $10 gift certificates and pass them along with the bottle of water to the homeless person. We might decide that, while at the same time loathing the way of life that person has chosen. That person made in the image of God, as are you and I. Jesus says, confound it, says, gotta love him, gotta love him. You don't have to like him, you don't have to approve of her, but you've gotta love him or her. Seems so unfair, hardest thing to do. A lot of the people in this room deliver meals for Meals on Wheels. Others donate money to them regularly to buy food for the elderly. And let me say, as I get elderly, 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 older, I very much appreciate your doing that. Don't stop. Well, we are commanded in Matthew 25 to take active steps to feed, to clothe, to comfort, to cure those of our neighbors whom we encounter and who are needy. I remind you of that story in Matthew 25 as I close. At the close of things, Jesus once told his disciples, all of humanity will be gathered in a group and separated into two groups. The goats, you don't want to be a goat, and the sheep, be a sheep. Um, of those two groups, he will turn to the sheep and say, I was hungry and you fed me. I was in prison, you visited me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was miserable, you comforted me. And the sheep are gonna say, ah, uh, I'm glad you feel that way, but uh, I wasn't there. To which he will respond, whatever you've done, for the homeless man, the homeless woman, the child who's suffering, whatever you have done for one of the least of these who are my brothers and sisters, my friend, my neighbor, you've done this for me. May God add his blessing to the words you and I have thought about together today. Amen.